0: The talk you're about to hear is by Zen teacher, Sensei Amala Wrightson. It's the third day of our spring, seven-day session, 4th of September, 2018. And we're going to take up um, the teachings in Mud and Water, the collected teachings of Zen master Basui, uh, translated by uh, Arthur Braverman. And um, he's he's translating translating material from uh, Basui's main uh, book, which uh, in Japanese is called Enzan Wade Gassui Shu, Shu is book, and uh, this translates uh, as a collection of mud and water from Enzan. Enzan was where Basui's Um, monastery was and it consists of um, talks with disciples uh, not so much formal teisho but uh, more um, uh, informal teachings including at times um, questions the actual questions from the students and his students were um, monks, nuns, and lay people. Uh, Braverman writes in the introduction uh, that, that Basui is really in these, these um, talks, responding to questions of disciples in an attempt to clear up their doubts Sometimes his responses are short, direct, and spontaneous. At other times, he seems to use the question as a springboard to crucial aspects of the teaching. Through these exchanges, we see not only the teaching method of a mature Zen master, but also the religious beliefs and superstitions held by 14th century Japanese at a time when Japan was afflicted by civil war. Though the disciples' backgrounds were diverse and their perspectives quite varied, Basui always managed to bring the students back to what he considered the essence of Zen, seeing into one's own nature. Basui's ability to connect these diverse questions to this central theme in Zen and to make complex Buddhist doctrines comprehensible to monks and laypersons is what makes him as unique as a Zen master. Just a little bit um, more about the, the the title of his this book. this um, this is, this is uh, the story of 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 how this title came about when the, when the, the master was living in the province of Ko in Enzo in Enzan he was attended by a certain monk who brought him a manuscript, and said, Recently I have been recording a small portion of the instruction that, in response to their questions and doubts, you have given to monks, nuns, and laypeople. At this time I have compiled three volumes. Though I have forbidden it, the number of people who go away having copied these notes grows larger and larger. And you can imagine that he probably forbid, forbade it because um, of Basui's own wishes. That um, probably that the, the, his students not, not not get caught up in in um, words, though they pass them around without permission, and. Uh, Thus they pass them around without permission, and others write them down. Because of this, a bird becomes a horse when the characters are written, changing the meaning of the whole as well. In other words, mistakes with people copying them out. Mistakes get incorporated into the text. In the end, a person who sees it acts in error and, contrary to his intentions, commits a sin. It is for this reason I would like to print official copies. I would also like to add the simplified kana script so that it can be read easily by those who are not so literate. Please, master, think of a name for the title. So he's quite skillful in his, how he might need to persuade Basui to allow this text to be printed. So as to avoid error, and which is the, the last thing he would want. The students to be acting out of error. The master responded, printing this was not my idea. What name can I consider for the title of such a coarse mixture of mud and water? Nevertheless, if you want to use it to instill courage and caution in future generations, call a craftsman and entrust the printing to him. Thus, It is called a collection of mud and water from Salt Mountain. This is Enzan. A collection of mud and water from Salt Mountain. It's it's hard to imagine a more um, um, pithy um, kind of a title. Mud and water to. Two elements that are so full of life, and essential to it, actually. That's on the one side, but the, on the other side is the um, the, the kind of caution, I suppose, um, that these words may muddy things, create confusion. In fact, there's a the saying goes way back um, to the uh, early koans um, of of teachers who who pour muddy water over their students, in other words they they confuse them or mislead them with words. So now to our to our mud and water text. A layman said, Though Zen is said to be transmitted outside the scriptures and not through words, there are many more incidents of monks questioning teachers and inquiring of the way than in the teaching sects. So this takes a little bit of um, unpacking. Um, He says, Zen is said to be transmitted outside the scriptures. Uh, And this refers to um, a... Uh, a famous uh, kind of summing up or description of Zen that was um, attributed to Bodhidharma but was probably actually, some scholars believe, um, created by Nansen much, 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 much later on. And people will probably be familiar with it, heard it. A special transmission outside the sutras not dependent on words and letters direct pointing to the human heart realization of one's own nature and becoming Buddha um, in the in the Japanese it, it's it sounds particularly um, succinct and pithy this first one a special transmission outside the sutra sutras is kyōge betsuden not dependent on words and letters Jikishi, Ninshin, direct pointing sorry, Furyu Manji, direct pointing to the human heart. Jikishi Nishin, that's Shin is the heart there. And then uh, realization of one's own nature and becoming Buddha. Kensho Jobutsu. Kensho, realizing one's own nature and becoming Buddha jōbutsu So these these um, four um, statements are said to sum up the, the nature of the of the Zen school. So this monk asks um, for a teaching that's that's um uh, Said to be transmitted outside the scriptures and not through wor- words, there seem to be an awful lot of accounts of um, Zen masters teaching their students, and this is this is true. Actually, um, the, the Zen has a huge body of literature, massive. Um, I once um, I got to talk to Andy Ferguson, the the author of the Zen's Chinese Heritage a book, we often use to go back to um, look at the biographies of the of the various masters, and um, I was asking him about uh, women's stories. This was in the mid '90s when there wasn't a lot of stuff around uh, stories about um, women in Zen except for a, a small collection that had been done by the Diamond Sangha called Ka, the Kahawai Koans. So I asked Andy Ferguson about this and whether he would be um, interested in, in uh, searching out these stories and translating them. And um, he said that the, the amount of um, material, the, of Zen material, Chan literature, that uh, has already been translated into English is like a drop in the ocean, and there's there's a lot of a lot of tr- stuff already been translated, so you can get some idea of how vast the this literature is. Much of it not even really um, uh, cataloged, sorted, though I guess there are many uh, Chinese. Uh, scholars who are, are are doing this work and and a lot of stuff is now available electronically but it is a rather it's a big paradox or or um, irony you could say that the, the this this teaching not dependent on words and letters should have such a massive um, literature attached to it this monk compares this um, body this big body of of, uh, of literature, to that of the teaching sects. Now, the teaching sects refers to to schools, and there are a number of them, of Buddhism, that rely on a particular scripture and follow a particular kind of doctrinal system based on that scripture. Um, for example, we have the Huayan the, the school, or the Kegon in Japanese, which is uh, centered around the Avatamska Sutra, or the Tendai, Dai, uh, in Chinese, uh, which is um, uh, founded on the Lotus Sutra, So he he continues, How can Zen be said to be outside the scriptures? And can the recording of the old masters and seeing how they dealt with koans ever be considered outside the realm of words? What is the true meaning of the statement outside the scriptures and not through words? The master called him at once, layman. He responded immediately, Yes? The master said, From which teachings did that yes come? The layman lowered his head and bowed. The master then said, When you decided to come here, you did so by yourself. When you want to ask a question, you do it by yourself. You do not depend on another, nor do you use the teachings of the Buddha. This mind which directs the self is the essence of the transmission outside the scriptures and not through words. It is the pure Zen of the Tathagata. The Tathagata means the thus come one, it's a way of referring to the Buddha. It is the pure Zen of the Tathagata. Clever worldly statements, the written word, reason and duty, discrimination and understanding cannot reach this Zen. One who looks penetratingly into her true self and does not get ensnared in words nor stained by the teachings of the Buddhas and ancestors. One who goes beyond the singular road which advances toward enlightenment and who does not let cleverness become her downfall will for the first time attain the way. So he he very skillfully... um, brings the, the questioner back from this um, comparing and contrasting of the different schools to, into the, the immediacy of a true mind. Um, Basui didn't, didn't invent this call and response it's, it, it's been used by the masters uh, since, since the earliest times in, in uh, the Zen tradition layman yes where does that yes come from call and response how extraordinary that there can be such an alive activity as this and it's of course not just confined to we human beings but to all forms of life from from the the most simple bacterium up to Buddhas Ants Plants growing towards the sun. Planets and their orbits. Here, when um, Basui talks about not letting cleverness become our downfall, uh, it's implied that this question asked by this layman is is kind of a clever, a clever question. He's trying to um, kind of ca- catch catch the teacher out, maybe. But in a more general sense, we can we can. Take it to heart, all of us. Um, cleverness can be a downfall. For um, we can be um, very attached to what we know and, and our to our um, um, attainments. At bottom, this this comes out of. Um we can, we can, thinking that we know certain things, that we're, that we're able to uh, manipulate lo- knowledge, this can give us this kind of sense of security amidst all the, all the uncertainties and flux of our lives. And so we, we cling very tightly to our cleverness. Have to uh, relinquish what we know. If, if there can't be any any discovery without that. On the un- other hand, if we if we can uh, let go of our cleverness and our attachments to. Uh, being an intelligent person or being a capable person or whatever then that cleverness can can return and be be applied in the service of the Dharma it can become upaya skillful means so there's nothing wrong with with being clever It's it's the it's the um, turning it into an identity that is really the problematic thing. So he's talked about not getting ensnared in words, and then he continues, "...this does not necessarily mean that one who studies the scriptures and revels in the words of the Buddhas and ancestors is a monk of the teaching sects, and one who lacks knowledge of the scriptures is a monk of Zen, which is independent of the teaching and makes no use of words." So um, it doesn't mean this this not not getting uh, caught up in words doesn't mean that um, a Zen teacher can't have um, a thorough uh, knowledge of sutras and employ them in teaching. Think of um, two great con- contemporary masters, Master Sheng Yin who's um, presented so many um, detailed exposi- expositions of, of uh, different um, chan texts and sutras or another example would be Thich Han, Hanh uh, whose m- many many books uh, provide very accessible clear um, commentaries on sutras there are people who think that it's um, it's sort of Zen-ish to be ignorant of Buddhist teaching and this is really um, a big mistake especially for for we in the West where we don't have a background of Buddhist teaching in the culture it's it's actually important for us to be familiar with at least basic teachings of Buddhism Um, otherwise we can we can go seriously astray in uh, how we practice Master Sheng Yin would emphasize the, the importance of right view in, um, so that we're, we're, our practice is directed in the right way, the right direction. Basui so then says this doctrine of non dependence on the scriptures is not a way that was first set up by the buddhas and ancestors he's saying here that um, this doctrine, this teaching of non-dependence on the scriptures isn't something created it's rather, it's a fact of life that that our, our deepest truth, our deepest identity isn't dependent on um, a text. It never has been and never will be. He continues From the beginning, everyone is complete and perfect. Buddhas and ordinary people alike are originally the Tathagata. The Tathagata the movement of a newborn baby's legs and arms is also the splendid working of its original nature. It didn't need a sutra to tell it how to move. The bird flying, the hare running, the sun rising, the moon sinking, the wind blowing, the clouds moving, all things that shift and change are due to the spinning of the right Dharma wheel of their own original nature depending neither on the teachings of others nor on the power of words. It is from the spinning of my right Dharma wheel that I am now talking like this and you are all listening likewise through the splendor of your Buddha nature. Even if we haven't realized this Buddha nature for ourselves, it's functioning beautifully all the time. listening to the talk, walking in Kinheen, going to the bathroom, sitting down, crossing our legs, questioning Mu, what is this? Becoming one with the breath. All of this is our Buddha nature functioning. The substance of this Buddha nature is like a great burning fire. When you realize this, gain and loss, right and wrong, will be destroyed, as will your own life functions. Life, death and nirvana will be yesterday's dream. The countless worlds will be like foam on the sea. The teachings of the Buddhas and ancestors will be like a drop of snow over a burning red furnace. Then you will not be restrained by dharma, nor will you rid yourself of dharma. You will be like a log thrown into a fire, your whole body ablaze without being aware of the heat. In other words, um, completely one with the dharma, completely living the dharma, This, this, these words of, of uh, Basui talking about a, a drop of snow over a burning red furnace um, remind me a little bit of um, uh, Tokusan's um, words after he came to awakening under Master Ryutan. This is a story in the Mumonkan case number 28. Tokusan was a was a was a, a scholar of the Diamond Sutra had had written many many commentaries on on the Sutra, and um, when he heard about the Zen school and and uh, to the point, especially about its claim to be a special transmission outside the sutras, he travelled to the south. In order to um, challenge these Zen people about this uh, claim, but when he got close to to um, his destination, he um, he he stopped at a roadside tea house and. Um, the old lady at the tea house asked him what he was carrying in his big pack which, which he had on his back and, and he said, um, oh those are all my commentaries on the Diamond Sutra. And so the old woman, uh, as is often the case when old women appear in Zen stories, was no ordinary old woman. And she, she asked a question. She said, I hear that in the sutra, past mind, it's said that past mind cannot be grasped, present mind cannot be grasped, and future mind cannot be grasped. Now, which mind, venerable monk, are you going to have refreshed? And this was the, the name of the cakes that he um, had ordered from this old lady were called mind-refresher kegs. But when she asked this question, which mind is going to be refreshed by these kegs, Toxan couldn't answer. For all his, his knowledge of this very, very profound sutra te- on the teaching of emptiness, he couldn't respond. To his credit, to his great credit, he didn't just go off in a huff, but he realised in that moment, he didn't um, immediately experience awakening on on, on this, these questions, but he realised that his understanding was limited. And then he asked, he inquired of the old lady, about whether there were any, any Zen masters in the vicinity. And she um, directed him to go uh, visit Ryutan. It says in the, in, the, in the commentary to the koan, Arriving at Ryutan's monastery, Toksan was deflated. So he his 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 pride um had been punctured. His his um confidence based on his on all that knowledge he had um was was battered. He he, he um Was, was received by Ryutan, the master, and, and then he questioned him, says in the case, far into the night. At last, Ryutan said, it's getting late, you should go now. Toksan made his bows and then he lifted the blind over the doorway to leave. And to his surprise, he found that it was pitch dark outside, they'd been talking for so long. And so he turned back and said, it's dark outside. And then Ryutan lit a candle and handed it to him so he could make his way. And just as Toxan reached out to take the candle from him, Ryutan blew it out. And at this, Toxan was suddenly enlightened. He made his bows, and Ryutan, realizing that something had had changed, asked him, what have you realized? And Toksan replied, I'll never again doubt the words of the old monk who is renowned throughout the world. This is referring to Ryutan. The next day, San took all his notes and his commentaries on the Diamond Sutra, he unpacked his backpack, piled them up in front of the Dharma hall, and then holding up a, a torch, he said, even though one masters various profound teachings, it is like placing a single hair in vast space. Even if one gains all the essential knowledge in the world, it is like throwing a drop of water into a deep ravine. And with that, he set fire to his books, and making his bows, he left, all the descriptions in the world all the all the um, profound analyses and um powerful teachings can't even come close to the vastness and complexity and subtlety of this universe of ours. Even if one gains all the essential knowledge in the world, it is like throwing a drop of water into a deep ravine. Going back to Basuri now. He continues, "When you have penetrated the truth in this manner, and this is in like being a log thrown into a fire and completely becoming one with that flat fire. When you have when you have penetrated the truth in this manner, and do not stop where practice, enlightenment, and enlightenment show their traces, you will be called as an practitioner." One who comes into close contact with a Zen master is likened to one entering a burning cave. He dies and is reborn. The cave of ignorance is burned out, giving rise to the great function that goes beyond ordinary standards. It is as though a burning forge were applied to a dull piece of steel, converting it instantly into a sacred sword. This is the most important point for a Zen practitioner who meets a master and inquires about the Dharma. Now it's this um, it's talking here about about a great master um, and, and the encounter with the master being like like um, entering a, a burning forge. But even working even working with a teacher who is, is not a great master the, the the encounter between the student and teacher is kind of is a kind of crucible it's a um, it's an encounter in which um, we can become aware of our sticking points or our our, our attachments things we hold on to through the the exchange, through the through the um, relationship, and and in this regard, it's a, it's it's an important component of uh, Se. It's got three main components. Obviously, sazen. Um, then, tesho and and other talks is the second, and the third one is doksan. It, it It helps to keep us real coming before the teacher. Um, and it and it, it gives us some some perspective on what's going on, otherwise um, it can be the process can be very um, it can be it can be isolated and not be aware when we might have uh, taken a wrong turn. So he continues, and it brings an, another story here. This is the one story of Master Rinzai's enlightenment, and um, there are there are three protagonists in this story. story. Rinzai, Obaku, and Daigu. Um, and then all the, all the names used here are the are the Japanese names so Rinzai is Linji, great um, founder of the Linji or Rinzai school um, Obaku uh, is Huangbo in Chinese, Rinzai's teacher and in the third the third character here is another teacher, another master called uh, Daigu or Dayu in in um, Chinese so these are all from the Um, Golden Age of Zen, the Tang Dynasty. Rinzai asks Obaku, What is the unequivocal meaning of the Buddha Dharma? Obaku immediately gave him 20 blows with his staff. Repeating this question three times, he received 20 blows each time. Rinzai, skeptical of this treatment, left Obaku and went to Daigu. It's not so surprising. He asked Daigu, Having asked Obaku the true meaning of the Buddha Dharma on three occasions, I was beaten each time. Am I at fault? Daigu responded, The manner of behaviour is due to Obaku's warm hearted kindness. It was done out of tender consideration for you. How can you ask whether or not you were to blame? Rinzai, upon hearing these words, had a great awakening and said, Obaku's Bodhidharma is nothing special. Daigu, grabbing him by the chest, said, A moment ago you asked if you were at fault or not, and now you turn around and say that the Buddha Dharma is nothing special. From what line of teaching did you find this? Rinzai then stuck him, struck him three times under the arm with his fist. Daigu, pushing him aside, said, Your teacher is Obaku. You are not under my charge. So what are, what are all these blows about? What do they have to do with the question that Rinzai asks? What is the unequivocal meaning of the Buddha Dharma? Sincerely asking for guidance, and he gets, he gets blows rained on him. Basui asks at the end of telling the story, Well, did the behavior of these two old sages, Obaku and Daigu, amount to intellectual resolution of words and phrases? Through what teachings did Rinzai's enlightenment come? Well, clearly, it, it didn't come through a sutra. In fact, we could say that, that both the Sutra and Rinzai's enlightenment here come from the same source, equally, but what is that source? And What has it got to do with, with being hit? this unfortunately this kind of behavior is often aped by people who think it's kind of zen zen-y. actually it's just one style of teaching among uh, many different styles and um it if it's if it's being if if blows are being uh, thrown not uh, coming out of an understanding of the truth then it's just it's just um Well, it can be even sort of sadistic. That's certainly not the Dharma. And he tells another story. This one is um, the story of uh, Ajo of Nangaku. And. it's a little article I, I give to people who are working on um, on the koan. The what, what is this by Martine Bachelor? Because um, this is a ver- very common um, practice that's taken up in Korean Buddhism. She trained. She trained under under a um, master Kusan, Korean master. And she in this article she gives this this story in a slightly different version. Um, as the source for the, for the koan, what is this? So this is um, Basui's um, account of Nangaku's enlightenment under the sixth ancestor. Then there was the Zen master Ajo of Nangaku. His Chinese name is Nanyue Huairang. Um, his dates are 677 to 744. It was the master Ajo of Nangaku who excelled in learning the scriptures. Before reaching enlightenment, he had an interview with the sixth ancestor Enoh uh, Huenung. The sixth ancestor asked, "What is it that comes in this manner? What is it that comes in this manner? When we're walking walking down the street." What is it that comes in this manner? When we, see, when we see a cockroach clinging to the curtain. What is it that comes in this manner? Nangaku could not answer at that time, but carried his doubt with him for eight years. He then came to a realization and went to the sixth ancestor again. The sixth ancestor said, what is it that comes in this manner? Nangaku replied, one word of explanation already misses the mark. The sixth ancestor said, this is still a disease of the mind. To put this after eight years of Investigating. Nangoku took leave again and once more spent eight years with his doubt. Finally, having experienced a great awakening, he returned for an interview with the sixth ancestor. The master again asked, What is it that comes in this manner? And no doubt he would could see that that there had been a change. And Nangaka replied, it's not that there is no realization, but that it doesn't defile me. The sixth ancestor immediately accepted this response. So it's it's quite a subtle answer here, uh, one that avoids falling into, into either of the extremes either um, claiming that um, enlightenment was something or falling into the other extreme of thinking that was nothing so he he, with this reply he avoids both um, the error of has and also the error of has not but what what is most striking about this story and it appears in other stories as well is all that is that is left out all that must have gone into those <laughs> 16 years of investigation the pers- the persistence the the courage to keep going in the face of being um rejected by the master or his answer having been rejected even though it was it came out of out of an insight 8 years and then another 8 years uh there's a there's a Zen saying um sit for 30 years, then sit for another 30 years. He continues, If you were asked now, who is it that comes in this manner, how would you reply? Hear the sound of the tui, there. Who is it that comes in this manner? If you couldn't reply, how would you avoid a beating from the iron staff of the King of Hades? If this was something that could be grasped through words and scriptures, Why couldn't the learned Nangaku come up with a word to answer the sixth ancestor? If Nangaku, not yet having attained enlightenment, were to answer in his ignorance, using his common sense and knowledge of the teachings, he might not have attained satori. In other words, if he he had hidden behind his, his knowledge. Aside from the one who instantly penetrates enlightenment with a one-word response, it is rare to find one in this world who, like Nangaku, has directly experienced enlightenment to its core. Truly, one who understands Dharma is to be venerated. He is the master who, for the sake of others, and in accord with their various stages of development, points them directly to their own mind. I am not saying that making Nangaku's response your koan will, in the end, bring about satori. But there are those who, hearing a word from a teacher, have a great enlightenment in which they lose their body and life. Some, alas, after three to five days resolve their doubts, while others take as much as three to five or even ten or twenty years before resolving their doubts we tentatively give this period of doubt the name grappling with one's koan. Though the words may differ and some may realize enlightenment quickly while others take a long time, when realization comes, everyone wakes up to his original nature in its perfection. This realization is not based on words or phrases. Take, for example, a warrior shooting arrows at the enemy. Some die on the spot upon being hit, while others suffer from the wound and die a few days later. Though the death of the victim may be quick or slow, the assailant wishes to cut off the roots of life immediately. This is called pointing directly to your mind and seeing into your own nature as Buddhahood. Cutting the roots of birth and death is what I call destroying the body and losing one's life. So he's talking about the teacher as um, using this metaphor of the teacher as a warrior shooting arrows at the enemy. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit du